Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Trags. I'm super excited and proud to unveil my latest podcast. It's all things Cincinnati Bengals. Jungle Roar, a Cincy football podcast. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and, of course, all things in between regarding your favorite team and stripes. I'm really excited for this season and even more excited to bring all you loyal Bengals and football fans the latest and greatest news concerning the team that calls the jungle their home, thus the name of this podcast, A Jungle Roar. Today on the inaugural episode, I welcome one of the longest tenured voices in Bengals radio and good friend, Dan Horde. I think that's a little bit more important than the uh, first part of that. He does the play-by-play with Dave Lapham and is entering his 11th season. How are you? Mike, I am great. I can't wait for the start of training camp. I'm so excited to see this team, and I am honored to be batting leadoff on your podcast. I appreciate that, Dan. It's uh, great to have you. I'm optimistic about this podcast. I'm also optimistic about this 2021 uh, Bengal team. Uh, we'll see in both cases if it's well-placed. Uh, we'll start uh, with the team and uh, talk about the, something that came out on Monday. I think it's pretty fascinating. Uh, Elizabeth Blackburn, of course, the daughter of Katie Blackburn, um, was charged with coming up with a marketing strategy, if you will, for the team, uh, welcoming full capacity back at Paul Brown Stadium in 2021. Of course, uh, one of many teams that uh, in the NFL that did not have full capacity uh, last year at the start of the season, which was in, of course, the middle of the COVID pandemic. Um, I thought it was terrific because It sets a tone, not only for the fans inside the stadium, but I think from the uh, organization and the players' perspective as well. I want to read part of it, Dan, because I think it's worth reading. It says, today we set the tone for the 2021 season as we launch our new campaign, Rule the Jungle. Rule the Jungle signifies the high standards and energy we expect to see on the field in the stands and in all areas of the organization. Rule the Jungle is a mentality that displays our confidence and strength. Rule the Jungle is the feeling of exuberance. Each fan will feel on game day like a queen or king sitting on a throne as we celebrate together in a stadium that is back to full capacity. Look, I know there are cynics out there. Um, The Bengals have had their cynics uh, over the years, sometimes deserved, sometimes I think unfairly so. Um, But the cynic is going to look at this, roll their eyes and say, oh, no, another marketing campaign. The reason I think it's important is I think that the franchise is trying to reach out to the fans to say, we really know what it means to you people for us to win. And I also think Elizabeth Blackburn is trying to improve the game day experience at Paul Brown Stadium. 
She's been with the franchise now for a year, and look at what she's done so far. She spearheaded the new uniforms. She was the driving force behind the addition of a ring of honor, something Bengals fans have been clamoring for for a long time. And now her next project really is to improve the game day experience. So like you said, I know a lot of people are, are thinking, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. But so far, she's two for two, and I suspect she's going to be three for three. This is very important to her. She's been listening to the fans very carefully, and I do expect there to be drastic changes in the game day presentation at Paul Brown Stadium. So um, another part of this that really sticks out to me and to me was the crux of the whole statement on Monday. She says, I hear this refrain a lot. If we don't win, none of this matters. Of course, winning is our number one priority. We want to bring Super Bowl championships to Cincinnati. I'll tell you, Dan, I think a lot of fans over the years have just wanted to hear the franchise say that, repeat it, and instill that attitude inside Paul Brown Stadium. Well, you're right about that. People have wanted to hear those words for a long time. And it's not that Mike Brown or his children didn't want to win Super Bowls or weren't trying to win Super Bowls. It's just not in Mike's nature to come out and say things along those lines. He's a reserved person and his generation stemming from his father on down. You don't say that. You believe it. You want it to happen, but just don't come out and say it. Well, Nowadays, people do say that, and fans want to hear it, and Elizabeth has heard that from the fans. She recognizes that's what they want, so she has, I think, helped convince her parents and her grandfather that it's important to come out and uh, you know, put that on paper and, and say it publicly, and I think people have responded positively to it. <laughs> I, I, and right below that paragraph that I just read, <laughs> it really made me feel my age when I heard her say this. Even though I love this quote, I feel like the sentiment can cut both ways. I'm asking you all to believe. I think it often takes believers to make winners of us all. Referring, she says, to her great-grandfather. And I just it, it struck me as the, the historical family lineage um, that she is very w- keenly aware of. As you said, only been with the organization for a year, but she grew up with it, right? It's in her family. It's in her blood, literally. Um, and she knows what that name should mean in Cincinnati. It should mean more than just the name uh, on the stadium. And I, I just think that, you know, it's a good jumping off point for this season for the team to kind of set their expectations higher than they have been in the past. I thought it was really interesting that she reversed her great-grandfather's famous quote. So when you leave the Bengals locker room and head toward the team meeting rooms. There's a gigantic mural that includes the famous Paul Brown quote, winning makes believers of us all. And in her statement that was put out on Monday, she flip-flopped it and said, in addition to that, believers make winners of us all. So you have to have that belief to begin with. And I thought that was very interesting and very clever. And I, I do think that that's a big part of what they're trying to get across if everybody believes and we can get this fan base back to, to where it was in the glory days, that can help the team win as well. One reason I'm doing this podcast, Dan, and I'll be very upfront, I uh, grew up in Cincinnati, went to Indian Hill, and uh, I remember the 70s. And when people say this is a long-suffering franchise, 
I, I take some exception with that because I actually think the 70s and 80s were very good. The 90s obviously were a horrible decade for the franchise. Uh, and then, you know, you get into the middle of the 2000, uh, 2000s and you have Marvin Lewis come in in 2003 and you started to see the cultural change. I think the team has had expectations over the years and hasn't met them. And I think that's what's left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. And I think now with Joe Burrow in town, and this is where I'm, I'm leading with this, Joe Burrow has a chance to change all of that. And the reason I think he does is the attitude he brings. I do not think he's afraid of this challenge. I think he embraces it. Obviously, he's an Ohio native. He grew up with the Bengals, knowing what the Bengals meant. Uh, in Southwest and Southern Ohio. And I think Joe Burrow, assuming his left knee is fully repaired uh, from the ACL tear, uh, I think he's going to lead the team to big things this year. Well, I'm a Joe Burrow believer. I don't know many people that aren't. I think he has changed the franchise. I think his attitude permeates throughout the organization, not only his teammates, but the front office, the fan base. He has given the Bengals a swagger that they have not had for a long time. I liken it to Boomer Esiason. I, I think that Boomer is without without a doubt the greatest, most charismatic leader in franchise history. And I think Joe Burrow is showing signs that he can be the same. I think uh, Joe Burrow has the potential to be, I think, a little bit more intense. Uh, certainly, Boomer was a great leader. And players inside that uh, locker room, we all remember what happened in the uh, walkout slash work stoppage in 1987, Boomer laying down on the ground in front of the bus and whatnot. Um, but I think Joe Burrow has a chance of, uh, has the potential of leading this team with a fiery expectation of winning. And I think Boomer did it a little bit more with his personality. I think the drive inside Joe Burrow, and I think the fact that he won a national championship at LSU and the fact that, you know, he, I'm certainly uh, played a role in bringing Jamar Chase to uh, Cincinnati this year. Uh, I, I just, I love the way Burrow faces, uh, has a fa uh, fan facing uh, image for the uh, franchise. Yeah, Joe's not quite as verbal as uh, Boomer Esiason was in his playing days, but, but what both of them have is that it comes very naturally to them. None of it is manufactured. You don't get the sense with Joe Burrow that he's, you know, read a series of books on leadership or something along those lines in order to try to formulate a game plan for leading this team. He has been a leader on every team he has ever played for at every stage of his life. I think the fact that he is son of a the son of a longtime coach uh, has clearly had an impact on his leadership style. And uh, the future is definitely bright. As you said, let's hope the knee is 100%. I think it, uh, if it's not 100% right now, it's close. And I think he's going to be fine long term. And I, I cannot identify uh, a young quarterback. Well, maybe Patrick Mahomes. But, but other than that, that I would rather have leading this franchise going forward. Yeah, and, and there, there's a lot on Joe Burrow's shoulders, obviously. Um, from everything you saw in OTAs and minicamp, you expect him to be full go by training camp, right? 100%. And to me, that was the big story of the OTAs. When the OTAs began and we were allowed to watch four practices, I expected at practice number one that Joe Burrow would definitely be there, that he would play catch, 
more or less with the wide receivers. And then when they got down to uh, the more serious stuff, he would be off on a side field with the rehab coordinator, Nick Cosgray, going through his paces to continue to rehab his knee. And that was not the case at all. At the first practice, Joe was pretty limited, that even to the point where they didn't allow a running back to stand next to him in the backfield because they were worried that they would get their feet tangled together or something like that, and there, there could be an accident. But over the next three practices that the media was allowed to watch. Joe did pretty much everything. He was rolling out left and right. He was running from drill to drill, typically leading the quarterbacks uh, to the next drill. So when I saw that, I thought, you know what? Everybody that said he's ahead of schedule is right on the money and he is going to be fine for week one. I don't want to see him play in a preseason game personally. I'd be surprised if the coaching staff in the front office allowed that to happen, but I guess we'll see. I don't think he would. I, and, and granted, there's only three preseason games this year, um, not before, because obviously the season's expanded to 17 games. Uh, you have one home preseason game. It's the uh, preseason finale against Miami, I believe it is. Um, but I, I don't think you are going to see him in pre. There's no reason to uh, not have him go full, full go. I mean, last year you had no preseason, and he came out of the gate pretty much ready to go. Uh, was productive. Yeah, he had his uh, ups and downs, but that's going to happen whether or not you in a rookie season had preseason or not, right? And the other thing is, if Joe really wanted to play in a preseason game, just to get the rust off and to, to be out there with the bullets flying, as they say, you would almost have to have him drop back to pass legitimately, throw, look downfield, whatever. I mean, it makes no sense to have him in a preseason game and just hand it off three times. He's not going to gain anything from doing that. So to get back to the original concept, if he comes into a preseason game thinking he needs to get some throws, you are inviting risk that you simply cannot take. So again, in my mind, I doubt that they're going to uh, allow him to play in any preseason games, no matter how much he might try to lobby for it. Two biggest questions I have, Dan Horde, speaking with Dan Horde, the great broadcaster of the Cincinnati Bengals, has been for the last 10 seasons. You remember Phil Samp, by the way? You know, I didn't live in Cincinnati when Phil was the voice. I've gotten to know his son quite well uh, oh. over the course of my tenure as the Bengals broadcaster. But I've obviously heard a lot of Phil Samp from NFL films, and, and he is the eternal play-by-play -play voice of the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, I, I grew up with them, and I still remember, as I mentioned the 70s, I remember his calls of Ken Anderson and Isaac Curtis and Charlie Joyner before he was a Charger. So anyway, that's a, a path we'll go down some other time. Anyway, the two biggest questions I have for this 2021 team, coaching staff and the offensive line. And I think those are the two areas that really need to step up this year. Your thoughts? Well, both of those areas are definitely question marks. I would add the defense in general, just because there are so many moving parts, so many new players and so many players coming back from injury that while I like the players that they have on paper, I do think we need to see them on the field, get out there and perform and perform well uh, to feel confident that the defense is going to be much better. Uh, but getting back to your two question marks, certainly the coaching staff needs to, to prove that it can get it done at the NFL level. Uh, years one and two under Zach Taylor have not been successful, obviously. Uh, I like Zach personally. I think he is very bright. I think his players like him. And I do think he has the chance of being an excellent NFL head coach. But sooner or later, you've got to win games. 
And uh, as for the offensive line, fingers crossed that they right. fixed it. Riley Reef should help. Jackson Carmen could be a great NFL player, but again, they've got to get out and do it. Well, and what you have on the offensive line, at least going into this season, I think, Dan, is a little more versatility than you did and depth. Uh, by virtue of the versatility than you had last year. And I think that's going to help. I think Michael Jordan's going to have a lot to prove after what happened in the, in the uh, Washington football game uh, that the Bengals had down in uh, D.C., right outside D.C., and uh, the season-ending injury to Joe Burrow. Do you agree with that? Well, it'll be interesting to see what Michael Jordan's role is on this team. I think going into the season, he's likely to be a backup. He'll have the opportunity to win a starting guard spot in the training camp in the preseason. But if I had to make out what I expect the offensive line to look like in week one, I think Quentin Spain is going to be the left guard and Jackson Carmen will be the right guard. Uh, but I do think Michael Jordan's got a lot of potential. Going into last season, I identified him as the player I thought would take the biggest step forward last year and it didn't happen uh in addition to allowing the sack that led to the joe burrow injury he had a very inconsistent season i think frank pollock offers the the possibility that he can bring out the best in michael jordan and and i hope that happens because like i said he's he's got a lot of talent he's gigantic he wants to be good and uh i, I do think he's strong enough mentally to overcome that sack that led to joe's injury you like the uh Jamar Chase pick over Panay Sewell. We'll get to see those two uh, early in the season, first month, I believe, when the Bengals uh, go up to Detroit. I was Team Sewell going into the draft. I made a very strong, passionate case on my podcast and on radio shows that I thought the Bengals should have taken Panay Sewell with the fifth overall pick in the draft. But at the end of round one, when I looked at the remaining offensive linemen available and the, the remaining wide receivers available, I think the Bengals got it right. When you look at it as rounds one and two combined, as opposed to just the first pick, I think the package of Jamar Chase and Jackson Carmen is better than the package of Panay Sewell and any of the remaining wide receivers at that point. So again, going into it, I was team Sewell coming out of it. I was team Chase. And you, you know, Mike Brown has an affinity for wide receivers. I think it was, was it last year you had him on pregame and he was uh, reflecting with you um, pre, I think it was pregame uh, show about all of the wide receivers that they have had and all of the success they have had. And when I, when I heard Jamar Chase chosen, I thought immediately of your conversation with Mike Brown. Yeah, I don't remember the exact quote, Mike, but I think he said something along the lines of we've probably done better drafting that position than any other. And they have had quite a history of yeah. of getting it right in the draft with wide receivers, particularly in the second round. I mean, they've drafted some great ones in the first, A.J. Green and uh, Isaac Curtis, most notably, but some of their all time greatest have come in the second round. Chad Johnson, Carl Pickens, the list goes on and on. T. Higgins, hopefully, will fit that description. So, uh, for whatever reason, they've nailed it historically. Uh, unlike the team you used to cover, the Patriots, uh, the Bengals have done very well at drafting wide receivers, and I uh, have little doubt that uh, Jamar Chase is going to, to succeed in the NFL. People have asked me, you know, making the move from New England to Cincinnati now, what's, you know, and, and observing the Bengals from afar, um, what has been the biggest difference? What do I anticipate 
in covering the Bengals. And I think it's just the culture. And that's what has to be built from the ground up, right? I mean, you would agree with that, Dan, that the culture of winning, the expectation of winning, that's why I brought that up at the very beginning of the podcast. That's what has to be instilled. And I think Zach Taylor agrees with that as well. And that's probably the biggest thing that he's tried to do in his first two years as the head coach. And I think we're seeing it come to fruition. You look at the young leadership that's emerged on this team. I feel very good about the culture that they're establishing, but you do have to go out and win some games for that to, uh, you know, to grow and to, to people to continue to buy in. So hopefully this is the year that that happens. I think it has to. Uh, for the culture that Zach is trying to establish to really get those strong roots and continue to build. Uh, if the Bengals are going to get off to the, uh, have the season that I think they can have a good season, make a run maybe at a wild card, uh, they've got to get off to a great start because I think that the schedule is favorable at the start, uh, not so much at the back end when I believe they finish uh, with the Chiefs, Ra- or Ravens, Chiefs, and Browns, I believe it is. And uh, they've just got to get out of the gate for, with a good start for many reasons, um, back end of the schedule and just building confidence early. Winning makes believers of us all. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and I, think that, I think that would be true if they could get off to a good start this season. I think that would reinforce with everybody in the franchise and the fan base that they're on the right track that Joe Burrow is capable of taking this team to places that it hasn't been in a long time. And we don't have to wait a long time for that to happen. So I do think a strong start this season would really reinforce the feeling that, that we're all hoping is, is going to come to fruition. They've got to improve upon the one fourteen and one road mark over the first two years of the Zach Taylor era. Right. I mean, that, that to me, if you're, you're looking at a place where the Bengals really need to improve. And we talked about the coaching staff earlier it's the preparation going on the road and being ready to win these road games. You've got to win more on the road, but even more than that, Mike, you've got to be able to win when you are in position to win and close out games. If you look at the first two years of Zach Taylor's tenure, they've had the lead. This is off the top of my head, but I think in 24 of 32 games. So they've been ahead in 75% of those 32 games and they've won six six out of 24. Now you're not going to win every time you take an early lead, obviously. And, and some of these leads have been early, uh, but when you're in front 75% of the time, and you only have six wins in 32 games, that's a big problem. This team has to finish much better than it has the last couple of years. And to that point, the stat that was brought up, I believe they lost their first 11 games of one possession, one their first uh, 11 one-possession games were all losses, and that's obviously got to change to that point. And they need to uh, they need to win nail-biters, too. So it's not just games that have been decided by eight or fewer, the so-called one-score games, but when was the last time like they pulled out a game by three that, that was a nail-biter down to the finish and they kicked the field goal to win it or came up with the pick or forced the fumble to win it? Um, it, it's hard to identify games like that the last couple of years, and, and they need some of those. Th- those games often make the difference between the team that makes the playoffs and the one that doesn't. So I have them going 13-4 and four if all things break right. That is uh, very optimistic. Give me a number that you think that the Bengals realistically can attain. 
I think a winning record is a realistic expectation. So that's nine wins in a 17-game season. That's more than Vegas expects. I think the Vegas over-under is six and a half, but I think nine is doable. Um, 13, <laughs> that's, it, that's me as, I get uh, that. a little optimistic. Uh, but hey, I, I appreciate uh, the, the rosy outlook, but I would like to see them get to at least eight or nine wins. And uh, if they could have a winning record this season, I think that would be a great jumping off point for what could be a sustained run of playoff appearances like they uh, had my first five years in the booth. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, look, I, I go back. Uh, I History always teaches me and Forrest Gregg was six and 10 in 1980, and then they were 12 and four. And uh, I'm not saying that Zach Taylor can be Forrest Gregg necessarily, but Zach Taylor does bring some skills to the table. And if they buy in and they win early, I, I remind everybody that the two Super Bowl trips started off with 6-0 and starts to their season. And obviously in 2015, they went 8-0, and and we know how that season ended on a rainy night, all Brown Stadium. Um, that, that, by the way, is the to me, the, the most painful loss in franchise history. But the point is, get off to a good start. I think good, good things are ahead. So my first year as the play-by-play man was 2011. The previous year was the Terrell Owens season where yep. Chris Mortensen picked them to win the Super Bowl on ESPN, and they won four games. So they were 4-12. and 12. In the offseason, Carson Palmer essentially quit. Uh, everybody expected the Bengals to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. In my first preseason game, they got blown out in Detroit. And in the end of that year, they were a playoff team with nine wins. So they added five wins to their total and uh, went from perceived laughing stock to a team that would go to the playoffs five consecutive years. I think the hope is that this is the year they do something similar. So if they were to add five wins to their total again, that gets them to that nine number and a winning season. Who knows? Maybe you, you could sneak into the playoffs a game over 500. It's happened before. So that's the type of improvement I would love to see this year. Looking forward to seeing you next week in person, Dan. You're going to be at uh, the luncheon, I assume. Absolutely. Uh, I can't wait for the start of camp. It's one of my favorite things during the course of the year because you get to be there every day. Yep. You get to see these guys up close and personal, really for the first time when it matters. I mean, OTAs, it, it's very limited, but now we're going to be there for the entire practice, uh, have some leeway as to w- where we can stand, what we can watch. Um, and, and I always learn a lot during training camp, so I'm really looking forward to it this year. Well, I really appreciate you being on the inaugural Jungle Roar podcast. Dan Hoard, the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals. Follow him on Twitter at Dan underscore Horde. And uh, Dan, your podcast as well. Uh, Give us a shout out for that one. That is the Bengals Booth Podcast, weekly during the offseason, bi-weekly during the season. Uh, In the latest edition, I talked to rookie kicker Evan McPherson about how he's preparing for his first uh, NFL training camp in a week and a half. And I also talked to Adam Rank, from NFL.com, who has written a state of the franchise story about every NFL team. He says the Bengals, in his opinion, are going to be one of the most entertaining teams to watch in the NFL in 2021. So he explains why he feels that way on my podcast. I agree with that take as well. I will be listening to that podcast. I will be downloading that podcast. And thank you very much. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode, the inaugural episode of the Jungle Roar podcast. And 
thank our great guest, Dan Horde. I'm Mike Petralia, and keep that jungle roar. <laughs>